0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello everyone, and welcome back to New Books in Christian Studies, a podcast on the New Books Network. I'm delighted today to be talking to Robert Edmund Cotter. Robert is the author of John Senec, 1718-1755, to Methodism, Moravianism, and the Rise of Evangelicalism, just published with Rutledge. It's a fine book, fascinating book, in their new series, Rutledge Studies in Evangelicalism. I'm Crawford Gribben and I'm delighted to welcome you back to the show. Bob, it's great to talk to you today. Can you tell us before we start a little bit about your background?
1: Okay. Um, I, initially, I was a Germanist and uh, I did a DFIL in Oxford on 19th century uh, literature. And then I taught for many years uh, in a grammar school in Belfast, French and German particularly. Uh, thereafter, I, I was uh, ordained as a church final minister after uh, attending sessions in Dublin for a number of years. And that was in 2005. And I combined that with uh, teaching for about uh, another seven years uh, when I decided I I would devote myself to to ministry and also to additional studies. So I I got very interested in revivals because I saw working in the inner city that revival was necessary.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Bob. And in terms of John Senec in particular, Tell us a little bit about him, who he was very briefly when he lived, what his significance was, and perhaps how you got interested in him individually.
1: Okay, Um, yes, it was, um, I stumbled upon him. Uh, I was reading around uh, trying to further my uh, knowledge of uh, history of religion, and I stumbled first across the Pietists. Uh, which worked then through Zinzendorf. I was fascinated by Zinzendorf and all that he had uh, achieved. And then in due course, I came to John Senek and, and he particularly fascinated me because there seemed to be a number of connections with my own uh Uh, biography, I suppose, in that he had worked in Ireland, he worked uh, down the road here in Ballymena, in fact I could walk from here to where he lived during his first period of time in Ireland, 1848-49 and also uh, as a Germanist uh, initially I was fascinated that he had worked in Germany. had had two lengthy spells in Germany, uh, and, and as I further discovered, knew a fair bit of German, both to read and uh, to a less extent to, to write. And yeah, because he was a charismatic figure who uh, who was a great preacher, uh, and he came from an Anglican an, uh, position like myself, uh, and uh, and worked with uh, well worked with a number of the greats uh, and held his own. And when you see a number of the greats, you're talking about the Wesley
0: brothers, Whitfield, Zinzendorf, you mentioned before. One of the things that's really striking about the book is you talk about new sources that you discovered, which relate to some of these relationships, don't
1: they? Yeah, um, I think uh, there were two areas, two places where I found particularly good sources. Uh, in the Little Moravian archives in London, Muswell Hill, uh, a, a great resource for anyone who's who's interested in, in lots of things uh, happening, and, and not just Moravianism for, throughout uh, sort of 18th century, 19th century onwards, and above all, I would say in the Hernhut uh, Saxony um, archives, which uh, opened up a bit more after the fall of the Berlin Wall uh, a, 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 uh, in 1989-1990. Uh, which were hidden behind the, the Iron Curtain, if you will, uh, and which many scholars probably didn't have access to. And things were, well, real gems of things were hidden there, particularly correspondence between Zizidorf uh, and Senec himself. Uh, and that led to quite some quite exciting days uh, as I unearthed them.
0: Thanks, Bob. Now, one of the other things you tell us in the book is a little bit about Senec's context. So obviously he grows up in England, he travels to Ireland, he travels to Germany. He's part of a a, a movement, or becomes part of a movement, the Moravia movement, which, within a very few short years, has stations around the Caribbean and South Africa, you mentioned, um, elsewhere. Tell us a little bit about what makes Senec's context so important for understanding him.
1: Well, it's a a fascinating question. Uh, he, He grew up in a time when there seemed to be a lot happening. Uh, there was a lot of movement, uh, a lot of oppression, and a lot of, uh, of fanaticism, you may call it, enthusiasm. Uh, I, I suppose a lot of it came from the continent, but it wasn't just the continent. There was a lot happening within Anglicanism, a lot uh, happening as a throwback to Puritanism. There, there were a number of strands just came together at a very interesting time. And Senek, who really didn't know what direction his life should take, uh, he, he tried uh, various avenues, and none of them worked out. But uh, it started, I think, in his childhood. His mother was very staunchly, seriously-minded, uh, uh, religious in, the, in this uh, non, non-juror uh, Anglican sense. Uh, and uh, his grandfather apparently hailed from Bohemia. So, uh, And Seneca was also very interested in reading about religious history and, and informing himself he also got very depressed as a teenager in probably one of the times when people often wonder what their life's going to be. But he took it from the point of view of religion. And when he discovered the writings of Woodfield, he was off. It was as if there was something he could get enthused about and the revival was sort of tailor-made for him. Not that he knew he could preach or knew how he could be involved, Again, those things happened by chance, uh, and uh, it all seemed to fall into his lap in many ways, Uh, but he had done a lot of uh, quiet reading and very uh, serious engagement with the Bible and with lots of other reading, which I would love to find exactly what. There are only a few things that we can pinpoint. I'd love to have access to his actual library, but...
0: Thanks, Bob. Now, one of the things you talk about in
1: the book is that
0: process of formation. He starts out as an Anglican. His mother, as you say, is is in contact or part of this non-Juring tradition, a very particular kind of Anglicanism, um, uh, a very, um, how would you say, very politically driven kind of Anglicanism in a way, very, very conservative. He starts out there, um, he moves through Whitfield, all the energy and excitement of um, Whitfield's preaching. You tell us in the book that he, Field effectively deputizes him, doesn't he, when Whitfield heads off to Georgia, I think it is, or, or Connecticut, in Massachusetts, was it, in yeah. America? Yeah. Uh, uh, it. That's right. And um, Seneca is left really with the tabernacle in London to look after uh, and elsewhere. Um, so, But you also talk in the book not only about these very strong Calvinist influences in his life, he also has a relationship with Wesley's that's complicated. He's a growing fascination with Moravian. Blood and wounds, piety. Maybe you could explain that. But he also has an interest in Catholic mysticism and even monasticism. So, how do we begin to explain his formation?
1: Well, um, it's certainly very disparate, very eclectic, uh, and he read widely uh, and. I suppose from a point of view of someone who was an autodidact you can read more widely you you're not uh, constrained by your teachers <laughs> you're not in a dissenting college you're not in an anglican seminary or uh, elsewhere you're you're not in a catholic seminary for that being so he just uh, he read what he enjoyed uh, and what appealed to him uh, and clearly there was a reclusive part of his nature as well which i uh, find monasticism appealing and and uh, also uh, that appealed to the, the way he liked to be serious about what he was doing and to regulate his life because one of the other aspects of, them, uh, of him, uh, I suppose, was that he felt he needed discipline of course, he had the, the guiding hand of his mother, which was a very firm hand throughout his life, uh, right to the very end. Uh, and uh, the, it was the familiar battle, I suppose, of finding his own way, uh, and yet... Uh, kowtowing well, or deferring to, to his mother along the way. So, yeah, he he discovered uh, emblematic books of Hermann Hugel, for example, that was the one which is mentioned specifically uh, in his letter to Sinsendorf to written uh, uh, when he was in the Moravian Center in, in Hanhag, uh, and we know that, that that accompanied him throughout his life from his late teens onwards. So, Pictures, uh, meaningful, mystical pictures as ways of uh, engagement with texts uh, and wh- what I call uh, picking up uh, a theme from someone who'd written about William Blake, mysticism, uh, is an underplayed aspect of uh, of Senec's uh, interests and personality and is religiosity, uh, we often see him and he 's often presented as the preacher, and certainly that was a very important thing about him, but my studies uh, have shown that he was much more than that, and there was more uh, more complexity, uh, more variety and um, more interest from my point of view uh, in someone who 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 had a very varied uh, upbringing uh, and religious formation Now. The Moravians happened to be uh, in England because they were wanting to expand their own network in a transatlantic sense. and Of course, London was a great uh, metropole uh, for that, Uh, and they happened to be around in in, in England when the, the revivals were kicking off. Not that the Moravians were necessarily terribly keen on revivals, because Zinzendorf himself had lots of uh, uh, lots of qualms about mass meetings and, and the kind of mixed motives that people might want to to come along and, uh, and listen to the likes of Whitfield for. But he, he he couldn't, shall we say, let go the the opportunity to, to to establish a foothold in London because they were coming through there all the time anyway. And not only that, but within Anglicanism within this very evangelical, very keen branch of Anglicanism. There's a lot of interest in mysticism, a lot of interest in new practices and new beliefs and and the strange, shall we say, resuscitated, late medieval ideal is what I refer to uh, in the book, uh, particularly um, to to do with uh, blood and wounds uh, uh, mysticism. Mentioned, Bob, that Seneca is known as a preacher. He's also known
0: as the preacher, in fact, as the apostle of Ireland. So talk us through that. How does he get interested in Ireland and how does he become so prominent eh, among Moravians in Ireland while also being a little bit cautiously treated by those in the leadership of the movement?
1: Yeah, well, um, seneca had already gained a great reputation by, uh, by his preaching in various parts of England, particularly in the western part of England, in Wiltshire, but also in London. So he was in the capital, he got noticed, and uh, if you're associated with Whitfield, you're going to get noticed. If you're associated, well, certainly in an early stage with Wesley, although there was a falling out there uh, within a couple of years in any case. But uh, yeah, a, a big following and an itinerant ministry, which meant that he, 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 wa- he was known to large groups of people hit the headlines and uh, he had been taught by Whitfield how to uh, capitalize on that and to publicize it and so he was publishing hymns five editions of hymns in four years it's incredible such a young man the confidence even to do that for someone who was not university trained so uh yes he he was um, sought out by people who were fascinated by his uh, his his preaching, uh, and probably in many ways by his uh, his Orthodox theology. In one sense, uh, and yet that was balanced out by the the strange language that he that he used. Uh, so there's a mixture of the exotic. From the, the 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 mystical language of of, of blood and wounds, but uh, tied in with a very uh, very strongly Calvinist uh, orthodox uh, theology associated with Whitfield. Remember, uh, Senegal also uh, had been a great defender of Whitfield, uh, and he and it helped to. Establish his own lines of theological thinking as he as he had to defend himself against the the, uh, the very combative John Wesley, very combative and very combative John Wesley. He's not going to let uh, let anything pass him uh, that didn't uh, uh, that didn't suit him. So anyway, uh, some uh, Baptists, as it turned out, came from Dublin, heard speaking. I think it was in London uh, when they were there on a visit. Made the offer to him. Well, could you come over to speak to uh, us in Dublin? The people there would love to hear you. And uh, Senec said, "Yeah, that, that's fine. We'll see if we can arrange it." But but he was in the middle of. Uh of, shall we say, trying to get rid of his responsibilities to Whitfield by looking after the tabernacle the society which had become rather fractious uh, and then drifting much more to the uh, Moravians, so whom he probably over-idealized at this time in, in his state of mind, uh, and uh, he, 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 he He sought membership of them uh, formally in December of 1745, but he had been, shall we say, flirting with them for a number of years before that. So this this invitation came in in the autumn of 1745. He wasn't able to get over to Ireland because when he he arrived at Holyhead, just the as often happens, I'm sure uh, it was too rough, uh, and he couldn't hang around. His means were limited, so, and also the Moravians were wanting to send him over to Germany. It expressed an interest in learning more about the continental Moravianism, so they they packed him off uh, in awful weather again uh, to the continent uh, in old style uh, uh, calendar in uh, Christmas Eve. Actually, what a way to spend your Christmas uh, over to uh, from from Harwich. Uh, uh through the the dutch ports uh to the german centres near uh near frankfurt and it was there that uh well he was uh he was interviewed shall we say at length uh for for several months uh and to some extent found, found wanting I think, uh, as I say in the book at one point, if Sinsendorf had his way, Senek would not have been touched by uh, any kind of barge bull because he was far too, well, far too un-Moravian in his style of preaching, far too Methodist still. He he was a a, a, well, a guy who was uh, used to speaking to, to huge crowds, and, and I imagine Sinsendorf wondered whether uh, he would be able to work in the much more intimate religiosity that that he favoured. It's a very striking um, discussion in the book, actually. Seneca's
0: decision to move from what we might describe as mass evangelistic events into a religious community that by this stage had a very distinctive history, didn't it? And it had gone through some trials and troubles of its own. You mentioned before that he had maybe idealised them a little bit. So talk us through what Senec's experience would have been that December, January, as he tracks out from England uh, across um, into Central Europe, what's it? What's he going to experience? What's he going to discover there?
1: Well, um, I, I, as I say in the my version of Senek's diary, which was published in the Journal of Moravian Studies there in last year, uh, he uh, was on, on a journey, both a physical journey uh, and a journey of discovery of, of his own uh, of his own way uh, in life. He had been very actively involved probably uh, outside his comfort zone uh, by looking after a very, as I've said, very fractious uh, Calvinistic Methodist community. And he was not great at man management. He was much better at uh, evangelizing uh, uh, either mass or or in small groups. So when he heads. To the continent here, he's there with just uh, a very few uh, Moravians. We're, we're not clear exactly how many. It might have been just half a dozen, but certainly uh, Paul Weiss w- 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 was with him, a man that he had he, he had met in London. And bear in mind that Sintendorf had set up uh, a worshipping community for the Moravians in uh, in London, the Federal uh, Lane Group, or uh, expanded into its own worshipping community because I imagine. Uh, the Moravians who were going through London heading to the colonies needed to, wanted to have somewhere where they could worship in their own way rather than have to just attend Anglican churches although Sinsendorf of course insisted they also did that to keep themselves in with the, the hierarchy. Uh, so when Sinek uh, goes through uh, Holland, he meets uh, various Moravian families and, and, and contacts there and he's impressed by the orderliness of their lives by the way they relate to one another uh by the intensity of their religion uh, and it's totally different from what he, he, he had experienced in England, where, where people, you know, seem to get so much more worked up about their own opinions and, and making sure that they asserted themselves and and, uh, and 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 convinced other people that they were right. Moravians were a, a much quieter, uh, much more settled, uh, more bitable in, in many ways. I'm sure there are, there are cultural differences. Uh, uh, they are coming through uh, Lutheranism, Pietism, or whatever, whereby it is a it is a much quieter, much more intimate, uh, but much more all pervading and all consuming form of religion. It, your life is uh, uh, is what you believe, uh, and your relationship uh, to Jesus is not. It well, for them wasn't just something uh, reserved for a Sunday or for, for parading uh, before other people. So when And then when he does arrive in the Moravian Center in, in Marienborn, particularly there near Frankfurt, he is, uh, well, he's pulled over by the sheer intensity, the variety of it, by the the, the, the huge range of different nationalities, because uh, Zinsdorf had deliberately tried to be creating another one of his Philadelphian communities there for that uh a, he deliberately collected people from from different countries, but they were also attracted to it because there was a lot going on there. It became a real magnet for for, for anyone who was was wanting to see where it was happening. And so Senec was uh, pulled over both by the variety and the intensity, but also again by the sheer, um, uh, the sheer, uh, uh deeply. Christian and spiritual uh, way that people related to one another. Uh, he was at a low ebb psychologically. He was probably uh, depressed uh, and exhausted because he had been very highly involved in England. Uh, and um, he, he probably felt uh, uh, a bit out of place. He felt that he, he was almost a bit of a fraud. Because these people seem to be the genuine article, <laughs> despite all his evangelism, despite all the great um, work that he had done, uh, and, and and he could be very proud of it. But the, uh, he felt he could be very proud of it. But the Moravians, uh, I think, the experience of living with them began to make him think well, should I be so proud of it? it? Is all that I've done up to now really worth anything? These people have got something so special. These people live, they relate to one another in ways that I never imagined people could relate. This this is what I want to have, and yet I don't feel worthy of it. Um, and the other thing I point out in, in that article was that he was wrestling with what the Moravians called his reasoning. In other words, he was constantly uh, trying to justify himself, constantly trying to think, well, you know, what have I done? What could I do now rather than, ah, well, rather than leaving it to the work of the Holy Spirit, rather than quietly waiting as the Moravian uh, idea was at uh, this time with the stillness, uh, uh, idea waiting for God to take action rather than actively wanting to move on and decide. Well, what decision will I will I take? What have I learned here? How can I run with it? So uh, he was not a patient man. Uh, again, probably uh, that was. He was so hyperactive in the revivals, uh, and uh, maybe a lot, he was surrounded by a lot of hyperactive people—Whitfield, uh, etc. The Wesley certainly too. Uh, and yet he comes to to this enclave in Europe where it, it is overactive uh, liturgically but uh, not in other senses. Uh, and so uh, his mind needed to be gladdened, but his spirit needed to be quickened. That's fascinating, Bob. Now, you also
0: mentioned in the book that, as a preacher, he's very much formed by that English Methodist experience. And as a hymn writer, he's also deeply influenced by Charles Wesley. So he moves to Germany. He goes through this many months-long interview process he just described. But is he being invited to abandon his Methodist preaching and hymnic style, or is there a way that he can incorporate this with the new spiritual experiences and the new theological and mystical ideas that he's incorporating in this very distinctive
1: European group? Well, I think his hymn writing had already been changing uh, under Charles Wesley. Uh, well, the Wesleyans themselves were, of course, influenced by Lutheran practices. Hymns were Lutheran preserve, And uh, Wesley himself, when they were heading over to Georgia, uh, and their first uh, trip had her been impressed uh, by the Moravians singing these hymns uh, during a, a storm and just uh, uh, leading themselves to uh, to the will of God. Uh, and so that, that Lutheran, that Pietist, that Moravian tradition of hymn singing was very strong. And of course, Cenzendorf had introduced the singstunde the singing hour, as part of their daily liturgy. So they were very strong in music. Now, um, yeah, uh, Senec had been writing his own hymns and he'd been encouraged to, to, because everyone was writing hymns, I suppose, that wanted to make a name for themselves. Uh, And if you've got a a colleague, friend, mentor like Charles Wesley, you're going to want to write hymns and and test yourself in doing so. But uh, having read through uh, all of of Senec's hymns collection, you're left wondering, what extent these would be congregational hymns or, or, or whether they would be more meditations or reflections for for personal devotions because a lot of them are unashamedly personal to to Senec himself they they, they reveal uh, someone who is searching uh, for uh, for what God is doing in his life and what God is going to be doing soon and a lot of them are uh, as I say in the in the chapter in eschatology, are are pointing to the meaning of the revivals. What what is all this? How does all this hang together? No, he doesn't use the uh, academic uh, vocabulary of uh, of eschatology or anything that would have been around and familiar to, uh, to, to people who had been writing about this, pontificating about this for years. But still, it's it's unmistakable in, in those hymns. Uh, and of course, he was also when he became aware that there was a Moravian uh, worship center in London, where he uh, decided uh, that he wanted to write hymns that would suit them. So he, having uh, well, uh, having broken with the Wesley's in 1741, uh, and uh, he uh, could now do more what he wanted with with his hymn writing, uh, and he saw. A customer base, shall we say, among the Moravians of, uh, of people whom he was already attracted to because, say, he had found that same medieval blood and uh, mysticism uh, through um, the, the Catholic the Jesuit writers like him and Hugo. Uh, and he he wanted to write in that idiom and he enjoyed writing in that idiom. And he he was very skilled at writing in that idiom, whereas I imagine Charles Wesley quite often wanted to steer him off from that, uh, most of the time. Uh, And, uh, yeah, so he he found, uh, I think, a vein which enabled his own uh, religious questing uh, and one which resonated with the uh, Moravian fascination with, we I mean, also say obsession with with blood and Wooden's uh, vocabulary terminology uh, as the, uh, as I say at one point also in the book, the epistemology, the way of organizing their their religious thoughts.
0: Bob, yeah, it has been great to talk to you today about your new book in the Rutledge Studies and Evangelicalism series, John Seneca, 1718 1755 Methodism, Moravianism, and the Rise of Evangelicalism. And I strongly recommend it for anyone who's interested in 18th century evangelicalism. It's going to be an essential read, uh, I think, and setting an agenda for years to come. Uh, before we wind up, Bob, can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on just at the moment?
1: Well, uh, I haven't. Uh been able to, to, to find time just uh, to, to go back to my historical studies on on Senec. Uh, I am a church of minister. I'm quite busy looking after three parishes, and I'm also doing studies in in, in health science because I feel that I, I need to, to know about the, the kind of conditions that uh, people are suffering from in my congregations but having said that uh, I would be interested as a next stage uh, to see how um, Senec was received by the Church of Ireland uh, at the time that he was that was 10 years pretty much uh, 9 years anyway that he was in Ireland because we only get uh, from the literature uh, Sennig's view of uh, of uh, how he related to the, to the other religions. It would be nice to, to be able to, uh, to come up with a, a more rounded uh, view of how Seneca was seen. Yeah, initially by the, the Church of Ireland, but uh, also uh, by the Roman Catholic constituency at the time, which is the largest one, uh, of course. Uh, we read a lot about Seneca having been um, chased by. Uh, Roman Catholic mobs, when he was in Dublin, for example, and by uh, the, the priests warning off their parishioners from uh, coming to hear him. But we also hear uh, contravening evidence of of other priests who who are asking him, well, please come and speak to my people, or why don't you go to the west of Ireland? They're they're hungry for for your kind of uh, preaching. And, of course, I can imagine uh, because of the blood and wounds, the mystical, the the, the Jesuit-inspired imagery, at the very least, that uh, this would would resonate quite well with uh, a Roman catholic um um group listening to it um because we were uh w- at this point, uh, already into uh, the, the Sacred Heart of Jesus uh, theology, uh, and, and there are lots of other reasons through um, many of the of the classic writers um, that were also read by the Wesleys and were also shared in that eclectic way by, by many of the great uh, Protestant evangelicals. Bob, thank you very much for your time today. It's been great to talk to you about your new book
0: and um, great to explore some of the context around it and to hear more about your future research. Thank you for your time and thanks everyone else for tuning in today. It's been great to have you on New Books and Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network podcast.